Okay, hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Innovations in Education, eSchool News' podcast on the latest and greatest happenings in EdTech this week. I'm Kevin Hogan, and I'm glad you found us. In this episode, we perform some due diligence on the effects of remote learning during the pandemic, the importance of fostering school communities, and we also do a deep dive into what it takes to start an eSports program. First off is an essay written by Ted Tucker. He's the executive director for Foundation for Teaching Economics. Their mission is to introduce young individuals to an economic way of thinking about national and international issues and to promote excellence in the economic education by helping teachers of economics become more effective educators. The title of his piece is, Two Years After COVID, Remote Learning Lessons Are Clear. Using his own work experiences, Ted gives a robust defense of remote learning and points to his own data sets as evidence. The piece is posted this week on the news feed at eschoolnews.com. Here's an excerpt. He writes, it has become accepted wisdom in some quarters that remote education is simply worse across the board for students than traditional in-person models. Certain studies have blamed virtual education for learning loss, social isolation, mental health and behavioral issues, and, and more. However, using remote learning as a catch-all for a variety of school-related challenges, many of which existed before the pandemic, misses some nuances. He goes on, it's also important to note that not all remote learning is created equal. In order for virtual learning to match the in-person experience, instructors must use technology creatively and engage learners in new ways. When done right, our experience at FTE shows that virtual education is a credible option. The proof is in our enrollment numbers. Since we started offering separate in-person and virtual only programs this year, we've seen interest in both. Teachers have gravitated to online instruction in our professional development programs in significant numbers with 161 virtual enrollees versus 77 for in-person. For their summer 2022 student programs, they currently have 68 virtual enrollees and 241 for in-person. So in other words, students aren't abandoning the virtual model as soon as the in-person alternative returns, as many believe they would. The whole piece is really worthy of a read, and I, I encourage you to check it out. You know, this experiment with remote learning is not over with, and I think it's worthwhile to examine it from all different sorts of angles. Next, Kimberly Smith, she is the Chief Inclusive Innovation Officer for Digital Promise. She pens a really insightful piece on the new dynamics of schools and their greater communities post-pandemic. This is also a recent posting to eschoolnews.com. It's under the title, Transforming Education Through the Ingenuity of Communities. Here's a highlight. She writes, if there is one opportunity that emerged from the political, racial, and pandemic-centered strife of the past two years, it is the recognition that communities are the heartbeat of our education ecosystem. While schools are embedded in communities, the education that occurs within communities has largely been framed as separate from school, after school, out of school, and informal learning. The pandemic challenged the distinction by connecting the classroom directly to the community. The parents, families, and organizations that support students outside of the school building. She points to four examples of this sort of work being accomplished through Digital Promise. 
Students and teachers in Sunnyside School District in Tucson, Arizona are co-designing a model to guide the development of social studies inquiry units that are centered in cultural and topics of interest to students. Students and parents in Socorro Independent School District in El Paso, Texas are co-designing an interactive writing wall to strengthen student engagement and confidence in writing. And then there are the students, parents, and teachers in Bristol Township School District, right across the river from me here in, in uh, Bristol, Pennsylvania. They are conducting focus groups in partnership with community-based organization called Bristol Cares that is designing supports for student mental health and trauma, including trauma caused by racial and discriminatory factors. And finally, teachers of color in Middletown City Schools in Middletown, Ohio, are collaborating with administrators and higher education institutions to design a Black male teacher pipeline and retention model. She goes on to provide some rubrics that can be helpful for any school or district to help foster these sorts of community relationships. Be sure to check it out. And finally, let's look at a topic that has quickly become more than just fun and games. The $1 billion plus esports industry has exploded in the past few years, and high schools and colleges have seen its potential both in gaming and career development. For school and district leaders who look to support student athletes while they're playing and prepare them for the multitude of careers esports is now creating has become a top priority for both secondary and higher education. I was lucky enough to be a part of a recent conversation about esports with a number of players, coaches, and administrators, including Nick Swain. He's the founder of James Madison University's X Labs, who makes a pretty strident case for the creation and expansion of this booming phenomenon. He also shares some practical tips with Remy Del Mar. She's the senior product manager at Epson America, and Ryan Serrano. He's an esports athlete at Fresno State University, and he's on the League of Legends team. Have a listen. How much? How much do schools spend on stadiums? Right. You know, for a football stadium, and you know we have just almost as many people, probably as many people playing esports um, competitively and going on to professional careers involved in esports as probably more so than um, many of the physical sports, particularly at high school level. It's a good point. So piggybacking on, on that last question, and Nick, we'll start with you and move to Ryan, it sounds like you guys both feel like there's enough passion and interest. Any high school can, on a budget, transition a traditional classroom into a space for esports. Any particular tips on some ideas that are more specific for someone who may be attending today to go, yeah, oh, okay, I have this particular space and I can turn this lab into a, an esports and get started? I'm a big fan of the dual use perspective, showing people how this space can be set up to be a really cutting edge classroom that can be used for multiple things aside from just esports. And, and then it, if you do it well, it can be a real transformative space for esports as well. So I, I think that's, that's really how I would get started in the, in the schools is if you say hey, we need, you know, 80 or, you know, $80,000 to set up an esports arena, it's, it's probably going to be too much, but it, with just a, you know, a, a couple of, of mon a couple of uh, projectors and a couple of computers, you could you could really get things going. It's, it, it depends on which games you're going to play, um, you, anywhere from 
from three to eight computers you'd need, but th that's, that's really all you have to have to get going. Ryan, uh, what about you? I mean, I know there may have been a time where everyone's setup wasn't this sophisticated and so organically you may have had to make do. Do you have any particular tips or ideas that you can share with people who may be attending and are like, oh yeah, I have this room and I can perhaps make it a multi-purpose room? Yeah, so just kind of following up on what Nick says, same thing. You can turn any classroom and just make it into a multi-use thing into um into a separate thing and like say like after school, just like a traditional sports, especially in, in elementary and middle school, I guess high school too. So same thing, just having just a few computers depending on whatever you're getting into and just making it work with just the bare minimum is just enough to get it going. You don't necessarily need to have something super high end, like that's all just just for looks um, in terms of just like as long as the game can function and you can play on it effectively then you know you can you can make it happen i have uh two players that were playing uh, i'm sure as a jonathan knows the terminology there's a lot of kids that maybe had played with potatoes basically uh, for pcs so they're very very bare bones minimum like mm -hmm. you know a dill computer um, basic and they still made it work so when they came into the uh, to the room they actually uh were quite amazed. They're like, oh my gosh, like I've never seen the game like this before. You know, it's the same game, but they haven't seen it as polished. But I mean, they still played exactly the same, whether they were in the room or at home, it still functioned necessarily the same, especially during the COVID year um, when everybody was at home, we still were participating in tournaments and it was the same thing. We would have sometimes have internet issues at home or maybe their computer would like kind of freeze up a little bit, but as long as we had, when we were in the room, it still became kind of an equalized uh, standard for everybody. But just enough, as long as, long as you have enough to run what you need, uh, you can make it work. And same thing goes for the space. So as long as you have a person dedicated, a room that you can use, whether it's a, you know, already being used as a classroom, as long as you can make, you know, the PC set up and get the game running, it should just be enough. I have to admit, even before this conversation, a little bit of skepticism for esports. But uh, the more I investigate and the more I have conversations such as these, it really seems to be a thing. So whether or not you're skeptical, get ready for it. And that about wraps it up for this episode. Be sure to check back on eschoolnews.com for all the latest and greatest news and analysis for what's happening in the edtech space. Remember that eSchool is always free and always trying to help innovative educators just like you. Until next time, I'm Kevin Hogan for eSchool News.